Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we watch this evening? We watched the Magnum P.I. Murder, She Wrote crossover from 1986. The Magnum episode is called Novel Connection. And the Murder, She Wrote episode is called Magnum on Ice. I have very little experience watching Murder, She Wrote. Quite a bit more experience watching Magnum. How about you? Uh, I, I watched both uh, in my in my youth Back in your day? Yeah, back in my day. Uh, I will say, I mean, this may have been the most ambitious crossover event in history. (laughs) 
combining two different styles of TV mystery. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so you feel it was more, more ambitious than the recent CW crossover events? Naturally. Of course. This is, this, is a, this is a crossover event for people with style and taste. The CW crossovers are for people who enjoy a good superhero story. Yeah, this is for, for mystery lovers who love the you know sophisticated musings and relaxed vibes of Jessica Fletcher and the, and the kind of uh, hum- humor and action and himbo energy of Mr. <laughs> Thomas Magnum. Speaking of the energy and vibes of Magnum, that episode uh, started out, of course, with the jazzy opening theme song. Bum, 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 with a helicopter flying. Helicopter flying and lots of montages of events from Magnum's lives (laughs) and the life of his friends and colleagues. And it made me wonder, Miss Kane, what sort of scenes would be in a jazzy (laughs) opening montage about our lives? Maybe like a toilet exploding as we unsuccessfully try to install a bidet. (laughs) <laughs> maybe uh you like <laughs> I don't know. what would your moment be <laughs> have to be something a little bit embarrassing <laughs> what recent kerfluffles have you uh gotten yourself into what else like walking around in mud it'd be us walking around uh like an abandoned building looking looking worried <laughs> Maybe you running after Lanny as she attempts to escape. <laughs> That's picking up dog waste in our backyard. <laughs> oh my god. Actually, realistically, it would either be us lying in bed watching TV or going out and eating custard. Or or, or looking at our computers. <laughs> no, what would your moment be and what would my moment be? We each have have a signature moment. What's yours? You pick mine, I'll pick yours. Okay, you pick mine. Okay. Yours, it, it has. It does it have to be something that really happened to us. Let Let's loosen it up. Let's loosen it up. Let's something that is is true to the idea of us. <laughs> yours, <laughs> yours would be you sprinting through a comic book convention, <laughs> like looking really worried in a in like a clear disguise with like a fake beer falling falling off your face, holding a bunch of loot. With a bunch of gun-toting goons in the background. <laughs> that would be yours. <laughs> and kind of like stumbling through stuff. And maybe maybe, maybe the clip ends with you kind of crashing into a table and fl- <laughs> falling over it. That's yours. Yours is it's a foggy scene, a foggy tableau. And a figure emerges from the fog. And it's you wearing a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> and you look kind of concerned. But then when you see it's just the camera, you smile. Oh, it's just you. I'm glad to see you. (laughs) Yeah, this sounds about right. Yeah, that's us. (laughs) That's us. Um, Yeah, so we get get the opening with Magnum. Love the energy. But then when we actually get to the start of the plot, it's uh, Jonathan Higgins driving some ladies around. Including the mom, <laughs> including Lucille from Arrested Development, Jessica Walter, and um, they're you know they're running some you know they're, he picked them up you know he's friends with a woman named Pamela who's friends with Joan played by Jessica Walter and and Joan's secretary Miss Amy, 
and they're driving around and a big pickup truck tries to run Higgins off the road and they end up go- almost going over the cliff in Hawaii. And, and I want to stress that this is a very low budget car chase scene as this car is being uh, overtaken and stuff by this pickup truck. We see lots of very tight shots of these ladies and Higgins really like overacting to things that don't really seem to be all that stressful. And that's basically where the energy and stress of the scene comes from, other than anything we actually see. What we actually see is a car driving and there's a truck behind it. And then we cut to Higgins looking really concerned. And then we see the truck just driving, maybe moving from one lane to another slightly erratically. And then we cut to a tight shot of Jessica Walter looking really concerned. Driver's Ed, an action thriller. <laughs> and that that was the scene. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, then we cut to some thrilling financial shenanigans with uh, Rick wanting Magnum to get in with him on a uh, an investment for some commercial property uh, out in Maui. And he uh, wants help, and he uh, needs Magnum to take out a loan in order to help them out. This ends up going nowhere, so I just want to add. But it's a big, it's a big point, so I'm gonna keep bringing it up. But yeah, that... no, no, it, it goes nowhere, but it's kind of a humorous sidelight. <laughs> I kind of enjoyed that story. You wanted to hear more about the commercial property they were investing in. Wasn't it kind of humorous? Did it give you a rueful well, chuckle? Well, maybe it would have been more humorous if they like actually stuck with it in some respect, or if they maybe get around to it in a future episode. I don't can know. Can I? Can I? Can I say perhaps the reason it rubbed you the wrong way was it struck you a little too close to home? Perhaps someone buying property and being disappointed. <sighs> somebody, yeah, somebody going through all the rigmarole of uh, getting a loan <laughs> that does apply to my life recently. So yeah, that's fair. Maybe I was just like, ugh. <laughs> They're gonna they're gonna ask you for all your pay stubs and W two Rick. Don't get through. Don't go through it. And also, there's kind of a recurring theme in, the, in this episode, and to an extent, I guess, in the whole series, that uh, Magnum's a bit of a bit of a loser because his friends get their loans from the bank just by calling the bank and asking for one. But Magnum, he's not in that great of financial shape, so he has to jump through some more hoops to get that loan. So meanwhile, the ladies and Higgins make it back to the estate where they live, where Magnum lives and Higgins lives and whatnot. And um, they reveal that someone tried to run them over the off the road. And um, also, Jessica Walter very overtly flirts with Mister Magnum. So uh, you know, and I don't really blame her because he appears to not be wearing any pants in this scene. <laughs> Kevin, I mean, can, can I mention at this point? To let people know, uh-huh. you really need glasses. I really need glasses. <laughs> he was very obviously wearing pants. I couldn't see them. It looked like he was wearing a big shirt. He was very obviously wearing pants. <laughs> well, whatever. I, I guess you really wanted him not to be wearing pants. No, I didn't. This was I, wish for filming. No, it wasn't. I just, he looked like he was wearing a big shirt like a little toddler or something. <laughs> Why was it all wet? He's probably just been in the ocean. Uh, he's always wearing tight short shorts in this. It's just, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> Anyways, so, you know, Magnum obviously expresses concern, but Pamela, the sort of the main lady, really doesn't want to him to get involved. She kind of just thinks he's a big, you know, a glorified security guard. Higgins doesn't want him to get involved. Uh, nobody wants Magnum to look into this sort of weird, aggressive auto situation. 
And uh, and Magnum kind of is like, haha, you guys are all just using reverse psychology on me. Yeah, he's convinced they really want him to work the case, but actually they don't. They really don't. And meanwhile, Joan tries to seduce Magnum. She lies on his bed, wears this weird outfit. <laughs> you were struck by that. It, it looked, it was very low cut. I was thinking, you know, I guess it's like a negligee. She's going to seduce him wearing a negligee, but I think actually it was like some kind of a bathing suit. Yeah, it was like a cover up or something. Yeah. She says she loves to watch men pack. Also, her character is a uh, recent widow who just came into a lot of money and who had uh, inherited a technology company. Um, but she so also. Please note she's in his room while he is packing. That might be important later. Good point. And she reveals that Pamela hired an investigator, so they don't really need Magnum to help out with this whole situation. Magnum's upset. Some mainlander's gonna f- come in and fucking look into this big, you know, th- th- this minor incident. He's sickened by it. <laughs> He's disgusted. Yes. Because in order to solve a crime, you need to know the area, you need to know the community. You can't just bring in some outsider who knows nothing. He doesn't know the just people. Just stumbling around. I... You know, that's, that's, there's something. It's a slap in the face and a kick in the nuts. I'll say, I just, I really love, and I forgot this about Magnum P.I., but I feel like Magnum, you know, he, he with some of these outfits, I mentioned the no pants look that Kevin has thrown some cold water I've on. I've debunked it. <laughs> yeah, you, you, the Kevin's fact checker rates it not accurate, but I think Magnum, and I think Kevin would even agree, I think Magnum brings the, the concept of the himbo, I think it's sort of like the male bimbo has kind of floated around on the internet recently. And I think Magnum kind of brings a bit of a himbo energy to some of this. He's always in these little short shorts. He's always running around, very confident. You know, he's he's kind of a himbo. He's not, like, he's smart. I, I You were saying he wasn't that smart. I think he's smart. I think he's just, he's, like, savvy, you know? He, he knows what's what. But, he, you know, he kind of goofs up. He's kind of a goofy guy, non-threatening guy. And he kind of just gives off that himbo energy. And I love that. I love that about Magnum. He's a great character. It's kind of a spiritual descendant of uh, Rockford from the Rockford Files. Uh, Rockford is kind of a, a detective, never seems to have much money. Uh, always seems to be a bit down on the lo- his luck. He's a kind of a detective who you kind of expect to see get beaten up and get some hard knocks, but it somehow is likable. Love. And you really dig him. Yeah, love that kind of character. And oddly enough, uh, on that program, uh, our good friend Tom Selleck played a recurring role as a detective who everything always went right for. Hmm. Kind of undeserved glory. <laughs> That's fun. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, his friends... Uh, Let's do after him about this property. <laughs> yeah, they, this is going to be a whole fucking thing. Kevin thinks is just the yucks. This Big, it was a, it was delightful. Big real estate swindle. <laughs> yeah, yuck it up. So uh, the boy. That's actually what made you comment on his outfit because mm. the three of them, uh, TC lands a helicopter on the estate, much to the chagrin of one Mister Higgins. <laughs> he lands the helicopter there to take them all to Maui, uh, in, to do this property transaction. And Rick and TC are dressed in suits. Looking very professional, the sort of men you would loan money for to buy property 
And how is our good friend Mr. Magnum dressed? He's wearing a casual shirt and very short shorts. But you acknowledge he is in fact wearing pants. He is in fact wearing pants. This reminded me of that like that episode in Thirty Rock where like Liz is trying to get like the like sexy like new like lady new employee to like wear more formal wear and like it's like, it's like you're not supposed to wear this to a bank yeah. meeting Mr. Magnum, but I respect him. Yeah, I, I, I used to uh, many, many years ago. Wear shorts like that? Is that what you're going to say? Yes. <laughs> I used to many years ago have a job where I worked with someone who always dressed inappropriately. She'd wear comically tight pants or alternatively, she'd wear comically short skirts. I mean, you don't have to be passive aggressive about it. I'm sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Magnum is just is that guy. He hops in the helicopter with his buddies, and they take off for Maui. And it's like I love this fucking show. I love the I love the fun, you know, energy Hawaii. It's it's super cool. I think it's cool that they filmed on location. They didn't try to make it up in some you know L.A. backlot. Well, see, because they had the production unit in Hawaii to film Hawaii Five O, right? So they had all that stuff there. Hawaii Five O, it's done. It's had its time in the sun. It's canceled, but the production unit still exists out there. They said, "What can we do with this production unit? Let's create a new program. Let's call it Magnum PI." I dig it. Um, so Magnum, meanwhile, as there as it happens to be flying over the exact spot where plot is happening. He uh, sees that one of the women, uh, the secretary, Amy, is driving around, and uh, she drove off in the Ferrari. and uh, With Higgins' permission. With Higgins' permission. And he has them drop him off, drop him out of the helicopter. He goes down, sees her fleeing the offices of a local business magnet, and um, then get accosted by some random guy and followed, and he loses her then. He doesn't get the license plate. He uh, reports this. He tries to find her, can't find her. And then basically Pamela and Higgins and the police all say Magnum sucks because he lost Amy. But Magnum, he's still in the game. (laughs) He knows what he's doing. So he goes to the police station. He starts pawing through some of the evidence and he finds that uh, prescription bottle in Amy's name for a common asthma medication. And it occurs to him that she probably, if she's still around, she's going to need some more of that asthma medication. Meanwhile, Higgins probably going to need some anti-anxiety medicine because now Joan's missing. All these ladies are going missing on him. It's a mess. And uh, meanwhile, Magnum pisses off the one remaining lady, Pamela, by suggesting that she's just trying to uh, cook up uh, some publicity for a book, Agatha Christie style, and that you know she's gonna. This is all a ruse. I, she works in publishing, so you know, and she gets pissed off at the insinuation, um, you know, and he's and he's in the meantime pretty still pretty you know sore about this freaking mainlander. They're really building up who could this mainlander? Who could he be? We don't know. <laughs> We don't know in this murder she wrote crossover episode. <laughs> I wonder if he's gonna he's gonna be a little surprised about who it is. 
See, why do they even do that? Why, when you're telling a story, why do you make a big deal out of a plot turn that you promote heavily? Everyone knows who this investigator is. I don't know, because we're trash and we live for this shit. <laughs> it just seems like a waste of our time. I don't care. I'm the, I'm, I'm, you're I'm, just grizzled. Yeah, yeah, just put, put, put this shit in a trough. I'll eat up the sloths. I don't care. I love this kind of shit. <laughs> I don't care if that makes me tasteless. I, I don't care. I love... Just all this corny 80s bullshit. I love it. So Magnum goes. He talks to the guy who runs the company where Amy was last seen. Guy acts a little bit sketchy, but nothing really seems to come of it. And then he gets a call that reveals that uh, where the pres- where you know Amy needs asthma medication, he gets a call about where that prescription is going to be filled. And uh, from there, he... Goes to the drugstore and then actually sees the car of the man he saw chasing Amy. And he kind of, uh, go. does he follow that guy to a motel? Was that what happened? In, in the phone call about the prescription, they say, oh, the prescription is going to be delivered to a hotel. Right. So I don't even know why he went to the pharmacy. To get an ice cream cone. Yeah. Himbo energy all the way. <laughs> so then he... um. Then he kind of psychs the uh, the guy who's been tailing Amy out, uh, breaks into some random guy's motel room, and uh, waits for the guy to break in as well, and then holds him at gunpoint, says, you know. And uh, then the, the, the motel resident comes back in and smashes Magnum over the head with a grocery bag. <laughs> so some retail-themed assault here. And, uh, and then one of the gunmen, or I guess the gunman, is actually wearing a sports coat that is color-coordinated with his car. It is the same color as his car. And you have to admire that kind of planning. Pretty snazzy. Yes. Stylish. And it's blue, by the way. Yeah. It's quite a villainous sartorial choice. Um, you don't see a lot of criminals putting that sort of effort into uh, their crimes. No, no. I remember as a kid reading the A to Z mysteries, and there was one character who always color coordinated her, all her outfits. But tell me more. Well, that was pretty much her big personality trait that I remember. But she was also not a villain. <laughs> so what was the young lady's name? I think it was Ruth. Ruth. Yeah. All the mysteries had a theme, and that was that they had letters. What are the A to Z, Z mysteries? I, I can't name them, Kevin. I, I mean, what what, what is this? I, I did, this is like a series of books, yeah, for children. It's like a it's a popular series of mysteries for children, written by Ron Roy, illustrated by John Stephen Gurney, published by Random House. I'm what does what, Sue Grafton have to say about all this? I'm reading who Ruth Rose Hathaway. Boom! I have such a good memory. Damn. Grafton wrote a series of books. Like A is for Alice. Oh, M is for Malice? Yes. Yeah, my mom had that. Yeah. All right. Well, that for kids with less murder, I guess. Um, so let's see. Kind of Encyclopedia Brown-esque. Yeah. I remember in Encyclopedia Brown, they had a dead eagle once. That was kind of terrible. Encyclopedia Brown was like, somebody killed this eagle. Someone like killed the bald eagle. Do you remember that one? I don't. You've told me about it before when we tried to find it and we couldn't. Am I, did I just hallucinate that? No, I definitely didn't. 
There's literally one titled Encyclopedia Brown in the Case of the Dead Eagles. Oh, that must be it. <laughs> Some sleuth you are, Kevin. <laughs> but can, can we mention one time where your vaunted memory did lead you astray? Because prior to watching this episode, you would occasionally mention it to me and you talk about, Kevin, it's really wild because there is a scene in there where Jessica Fletcher just goes all crazy, just checking out Thomas Magnum. And there's like a lot of sexual energy crackling in the air. And no such scene appeared. Okay, but... What does this tell us about Miss Kane? Well, maybe Miss Kane needed to get out more back in the day. But <laughs> but I'll say this, to your point, yes. Maybe it wasn't as sexually charged as I remembered it. But isn't it a little odd that there are two scenes in this uh crossover event in which one of the characters either magnum in one case and jessica in the other case are only wearing a bathrobe and having a prolonged conversation with the other person why do that if not to plant some seeds in our mind to me it was just a storytelling technique we have these two detectives why don't we put them both in the same situation in different roles just to see how they each respond similarly or differently to reveal something about them. You could have done that with anything other than being naked under, you know, neat their bathrobes is all I'm saying. I'm just saying I watched those scenes. You could have one of them driving and then duplicate it with the other person driving. You could have one of them swimming and then the other. There was no sexual tension there. But there I'm was no saying, sexual. Interest. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it was a little weird. I'd be like, oh, I'm just running a bath. Like, what? 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 What the fuck? It's a little weird. <laughs> I didn't think it was all that weird. People take baths. Would you be okay if I went on vacation with somebody and then a person of the opposite sex came into my room while I was in only a bathrobe and I was running a bath and had a prolonged conversation with me about something we were working on? If you were 70 and it was a fugitive what? from a murder charge that what? you were helping, then yes. <laughs> what? You'd be okay? What? What are women over over a certain age, over the hill? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's exactly what I was saying. Actually, when you're 70, I'm gone. I'm out of here. Oh, fuck you. I'll be long dead. I'll be moldering in the grave. Good. You can do whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, I will. I'll go find some hot young Hawaiian <laughs> private investigator, and I'll just let him hang come around in. A, hang around in my bathrobe all day, just waiting for him to break in. <laughs> Would you be like Jessica Walter, just going into strange yeah. men's uh, rooms and lounging out on their beds? Yeah, why not? Stealing their hats. <laughs> Spoiler. Why not? When you're 70, that's yeah, your plan? Yeah, that's what my plan is. <laughs> she, she's definitely not 70 there. I think she was uh, like 62. When was uh, Mr. Selleck born? 45. She was 20 years older than him. See, that's nothing. So I guess the question is, why wasn't there sexual energy between them? And in that case, the, the show assumes that because she's so much older than him, there could be no possibility. Yeah, and there can't be, right? I mean, over 20, that's just disgusting. I think that's nothing. I think that's nothing. That's That's a blink of the eye. That's sick. That's a blink of the eye. (laughs) 
See, in this case, and this actually, I wrote this down to talk about later, but this is a good setup. I mean, you're kind of, you're kind of Jessica Fletcher because you're kind of the like kind of calm, soothing person who's going to come in and be like, okay, let's figure this out. Let's, well, let's talk about it. And I'm, I'm chaotic Thomas Magnum coming in hot, shooting up people, you know, running around in like big jeans. Like <laughs> this is basically... And letting your friends encourage you to make disastrous financial decisions. <laughs> See, meanwhile, you're only coming in to help your uh, strange friends who lie to you. <laughs> like, I mean, this, this this kind of did capture some of our energy, not all of it, since you're saying it's so, uh, you know, so sexless, I guess. But it, it certainly, we're, we're a bit, you know, we're a bit of a gender flipped situation. <laughs> And also, you know, in the first one, at least, you know, Magnum's really kind of fucking up a lot. So I definitely felt like I, I would, I was kind of, I would adhere to that sort of. And then the next episode, he's like completely sidelined. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they needed to include him more in the second episode. But um, I thought that was funny. <laughs> Just the image, we're going to get to this later, but the image of him bursting through a, you know, fancy garden party, you know, in like. You know, just like shooting at somebody. I was like, yeah. I can see you doing that. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like an Anya thing. It does. It does. And I could see you like dropping that you happen to know about some like rare exotic Hawaiian plant, like in a conversation with Higgins and making Higgins, you know, be like, oh my God, this person's the greatest. Making him feel seen and yeah. understood. Oh my God, I love Kevin. <laughs> You know, and then it would turn out like you only you only knew that, and that was the extent of your knowledge. How did we get here? Anyways, where were we? So Joan goes missing. Um, blah, 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 blah. Oh, we, we were talking about the guy having uh, having a coat the same color as his car. I remember that. So meanwhile, Magnum finds Amy, the missing secretary. She opens the door to this motel room. This is after the shootout. After the shootout. She gives some bullshit answer about not planning it out and just sort of, you know, not planning to run away, just kind of doing it on a on the spur of a moment. And that she figured that the guy was hired by her like ex-boyfriend or something to like track her down. And like it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but they show back up at the estate. I mean, as they get there. A new face arrives. Who's that? It is the investigator who is the author, J.B. Fletcher. And Magnum is shocked that J.B. Fletcher is a woman. <gasps> so I'm not familiar with the Murder, She Wrote universe. Is it a big secret in the Murder, She Wrote universe that J.B. Fletcher is a woman? See, I don't really remember that, but it, it may be. I, I don't, Why? I don't know. She wants that anonymity, privacy. If she wants privacy, why not just have go all the way with a pen name? Maybe it's pre-internet. Maybe she just figures and most people don't care. If people don't care. Then why even have a pen name at all? Maybe I, I, I don't know. Maybe Magnum, I want answers. Maybe Magnum's not the brightest guy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he made some assumptions. I mean, in other episodes, it seems like she's going around and people are like, oh, I love your books. Like, it, it doesn't, you know, like, they, you know, they might with a well, like Stephen King or something, they might mm. recognize them. So it it doesn't make a lot of sense. But maybe he, maybe he just made some assumptions. 
Are you suggesting that Mr. Magnum is a bit of a sexist? I, I'm not. I, I just... He... They, they seem to be kind of playing that up here for some reason, even though, you know, he never really comes off as this. I mean, does he come off as a sexist in the rest of the series? You're more familiar with Magnum. Uh, I haven't watched a lot of episodes, but I don't really think of him as a sexist. No, no. So it just seemed like it was like, oh, what? Huh? Huh? <laughs> There's a big spit take. Yeah, he's, huh, let me, can't wait to meet this male mainlander investigator while I take a big sip of my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> But meanwhile, um, Higgins gets so overwhelmed when he meets Jessica. He falls in love with this, with the sophisticated Angela Lansbury. Because he comes in covered with dirt because he's been working in his garden. And she recognizes the dirt and guesses what kind of flower he'd been working with. Love. And meanwhile, Jessica kind of downplays her own investiga- investigative skills. She encourages her friend you know, to just, you know, let Magnum help her. Um, and, you know, then there's this whole bizarre scene where they all eat dinner and Higgins has Magnum sit at the children's table <laughs> alone. It's very silly, but very funny. Joan comes back in, says she's fine. So now now all the ladies are back uh, and uh, Joan has br- brought a man, a gray-haired gentleman, who invites them all to his garden party later on. So things are looking up. Uh, until that is, Magnum has a big outburst and how he's being disrespected by everybody and they're all downplaying his investigative skills and he's, you know, not going to be talked to like a child by Higgins anymore. And then, of course, somebody takes a shot through the window. Magnum sees the gun just in time to knock people out of the way and save some lives. Yes. Later on, we mentioned Jessica... Shows up into Magnum's room while he's only in a bathrobe. And she, uh, you know, kind of says, you know, she wants to help out and blah, blah, blah. But he's, he's kind of dismissive of her and being kind of like, you're just an author. Like, you're not a real private eye. Us private eyes have a code. And it's the code of logic. And that's not in fiction. So she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the point of this scene is to make Magnum look foolish. I think... They should have just had them work together more, you know? I think the the problem with this episode to a certain extent, but the next episode to a greater extent, is that they kind of are separating their two main people. And for me, I really want to see these two characters work together and see what that might look like and go on adventures together. Instead, it more feels like they're both sort of coexisting in the same room without really interacting that much. Um, You know, even though they are having dialogue together, they're not really working. I would love to see, like, Jessica Fletcher figuring something out while Magnum sort of drives around in a car chase. Like that, that to me would be more fun than sort of having them at odds for this extended time. So that's my And I'm sure there are real world production issues where it'd be difficult to have like Tom Selleck be a lot in a murder she wrote and Angel Lansbury to be a lot in the Magnum episode. They probably had to shoot both episodes perhaps during the same week or something. Yeah, a hundred percent. And for what we get, I really, I really enjoy this crossover event, you know, uh, for what we get. And I understand that there, that would be definitely those kind of considerations, you know, from storytelling perspective, maybe something is left to be desired, but I'd rather this exist as it is than not exist at all. (laughs) So I'm sort of just glad we got, (laughs) I'm glad we got something from this collaboration because it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun premise. 
it's fun to see them together. Now, you were joking about how you thought there was like a sexual energy between them. Would you have liked to have seen them have a wild affair? No, that's too much. I mean, I don't know. That's not, I don't think either show could sustain that. Do you know what I mean? I don't think either show has that kind of vibe. I just, I just thought it was funny that they get, both kept on bursting into the room when the other one was half naked. <laughs> you know, they, they, you know, a bunch of these, these ladies, Amy, Joan, um, Pamela, Jessica, and Magnum all go to this garden party. How- Ricky Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The great song Garden Party by Ricky Nelson. So every time you say Garden Party, of course, we think of the great Rick Nelson. Don't died know. tragically in a plane accident. Oh, my God. Sorry to hear that. It was many years ago. 1984, I believe. My God. Jessica- I actually died in 1985. I was off by a year. Wow. Jessica ends up confronting her friend Pamela and saying, you know, explain why you're so frightened of being murdered. This also goes nowhere. Pamela reveals that she has some dirt on a high... Profile publisher back in New York, and Jessica convinces her that they need to go back to New York to, you know, go to the police and testify against the guy, and that, you know, it's going to be okay. And that's why Pamela is acting so cagey. This goes nowhere. This goes absolutely nowhere. This never comes back again. They never talk about this again. So, I, yeah. Isn't it all about creating red herrings? It is, but you you'd think they'd have a satisfying way to le- at least address like. Some things. And if you're going to close the book on this here, maybe kind of keep it going in the next episode where you could be like, could it be the publishers, long the long arm of the big six or something, the big five, whatever they I mean, are. If now. you want to talk about things that go nowhere, what about the, the secretary and her jewelry? Which I guess we'll get to later. Well, I mean, that at least is in the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> and also the fucking commercial land scheme. <laughs> Which is a delightful romp. Is it? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I love to spend money on land. That sucks. <laughs> it's giving you many a hearty laugh at your own expense. I'm shaking my head right now. <sighs> what happened? It's next. Um, so, <laughs> at some point, uh, Magnum and Jessica have one another another uh, run in, and uh, I liked this line from Jessica, where she said, "I'm sure that you're normally very good at what you do." <laughs> so some shade <laughs> from Miss Fletcher, or Mrs. Fletcher, towards uh, Magnum. And then Magnum blunders into a chase. <laughs> blunders into a chase with Mr. Paul Mayfield, who is the guy who was following around the secretary and has been kind of hounding them this whole time. And I'm just like, can you imagine if you were at like a party in Hawaii and suddenly <laughs> Tom Selleck is like busting through the place, chasing some guy. Waving like, a gun around. Yeah, he's and also picture that he's in he's in a Gray t-shirt and jeans. Like, he's not dressed for the party. And then Magnum seemingly shoots Mayfield dead in the back. And he gets arrested for murder. And that's the end of the episode. And we talked about how much we love the ending uh, Magnum credits. What do you like about them, Kevin? Uh, The ending credits of each episode have little scenes from the episode we just watched. So it's like a nice... Nice way to shave memories. Yes. Shave memories. <laughs> it's a nice way to share memories. And shave them, too, with Gillette. That's our sponsor. <laughs> it's like the classic uh, Bob Hope theme song, Thanks for the Memories. You remember when uh, Thomas Magnum first saw Jessica Fletcher? Well, here's that scene. 
Remember that really cheaply shot car chase at the beginning of the episode? Well, here it is again. I like it. it. It's like it's like remember these good times you had with these crazy kids, and it just feels like a high school graduation slideshow, but for each every single episode that they do, and it's like yes, we remember we saw it like thirty minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought this was a novel start to uh, this two parter starring two of my faves, and then it's time for murder. She wrote, and I, things yeah. things take a different tone. Yeah, things go down in terms of energy. This is like an old person mystery show. It's about an older woman who's kicking ass. And, and it's going to be a little bit less action focused. It's going to be a little bit more kind of traditional. Let's all get everyone in a room and have Jessica kind of point out who's the killer. And there's a lot more fun and humor in the Magnum episode. Uh, I think the creators of Magnum have a sense of humor about the character. They enjoy subverting him, making him look foolish sometimes. Uh People who do Murder, She Wrote don't seem to have any interest in making Jessica Fletcher look the least bit ridiculous. It's like she's the Queen of England or something. They just adore this character. So she's seen as being uh, invincible and brilliant. Jessica Fletcher is a queen. I'm more interested in a character that has some flaws or a sense of humor. I agree. I think Thomas Magnum is the more interesting character in that sense. But I will say that... You know, you enjoy Nancy Drew. Is that not basically the same thing as Jessica Fletcher? Uh, Nancy Drew, those books and shows have like supporting characters who at least see Nancy Drew in different ways or add a little bit of seasoning or spice to it. And that's and that's, you know. I mean, that's murder she wrote. She has other She has other people. In this episode, we didn't see those characters. All we saw were the Magnum characters transplanted into the murder she wrote universe, where suddenly the characters, he seemed to have a lot of life and energy in the last episode of, of Magnum, uh, have a lot less life and energy and humor. It's all a little sedate. The, the crossover took a Xanax, basically. And it seems a lot of the dialogue just becomes... Info dumps, exposition dumps, and like uh, we had red herrings in Magnum where it's like, oh, I have some information on a publisher. We better rush off to New York to take care of it. And in this, the red herrings in this episode are are just like people sit down in a, a hotel bar and just have long speeches. So it seems it's had a different tone. Was there anything you did like more, uh, more about this than the Magnum episode or anything that you saw as promising with the Murder, She Wrote franchise? I felt like this wasn't a good introduction to me for the Murder, She Wrote franchise. I would have enjoyed seeing the Fletcher character interact with her own supporting cast. She seemed out of place in, in the Magnum episode, they had fun and they made Jessica Fletcher seem kind of invincible and Magnum look kind of like a dullard. And it, it was kind of funny. But in her own universe, it just made her seem less interesting. Because Magnum is sidelined because he's in jail and there's no real humor to it it's just let's watch this woman be invincible and go around and make insulting insinuations and listen to people give info dumps what about you what did you like better about the murder she wrote episode oh i just love jessica fletcher 
What are you but I wish there had been more Magnum in it because that's that's the selling point. But I get that these production issues that you sort of mentioned that would be hard to probably hard to negotiate and hard to deal, especially when they had to fly all the way out to Hawaii uh, to do it. But anyways. Uh, Mr. Mayfield is found shot in the back, unarmed. Uh, so Chief Browning, who at this point hates Magnum, uh, says, it's no more palsy-wowsy, you stepped in this one good, it's all over your shoes. <laughs> Very strange thing to say. But, <laughs> uh, Magnum ends up, uh, going to jail. And, uh, you know, Jessica tries to help him out, but Magnum doesn't really want her help, and the police aren't buying it anyway. And then Jessica wants to find out why that hitman that Magnum killed was even at the party in the first place. And he goes to, she goes, talks to the guy who threw the party. He says, I didn't even know that fella. I'm just a PR guy. He's just a flack. So he wasn't even hosting the party for himself. He was hosting it on behalf of some other person. And uh, maybe that person knows who Mr. Mayfield was. And meanwhile, Jessica makes some headway by sort of threatening to talk to the police officer, chief's manager. <laughs> Classic Karen move. And uh, also... Uh, Doesn't she suggest like she knows the governor or something? Yeah, she knows the governor of Hawaii. And uh, she also goes and just meets with the sketchy business dude uh, who's kind of threatening. And he, uh, you know, he, he he's like, oh, you know, he, he looks at the... He looks up... Um, what was it? He looks up, you know, the the secretary character's name in this bit ridiculous nineteen eighties computer. But when she when she evokes the name Mayfield, he clams. Which up. is the name of the hitman? Yeah, he he clams up and vaguely threatens her with a statement about Hawaii's weather. In other words, he says uh, some people uh, find the climate here to be disagreeable. Apparently, there were a lot of storms uh, while they were trying to shoot this, so that was sort of. Perhaps an inside joke. Yes. Uh, I guess this is by the point where Higgins and Fletcher conclude that a gun is missing from the Robin Masters estate and that one of the ladies must have stolen it. And meanwhile, at the hotel, uh, Pamela, Jessica, and Higgins realize that the uh, package that Amy gave to, uh, to Pamela to carry is not in fact the cookbook that she claimed it was, but is a uh, a box of uh, smuggled diamonds. And, and once they, when she discovers they open it, Amy confronts them, storms out, and we see her walking past. We see everybody walking past a guy at the hotel desk who seemed to have a woman's voiceover. He was like, "Hi, this." Is, it was like a guy on the phone mouthing some words, and it sounded like a woman being like, "Hello, this is the Hawaiian Royal Hotel." So that was odd, but. <laughs> Maybe it's some commentary on what it's like to make a crossover. I don't know. Um, but uh, Amy says, uh, tells Jessica that she's actually fleeing an abusive husband. The jewels are, in fact, her. She's not a smuggler, and they're just what she's going to try to use to start over. Uh, it turns out that Pamela got her the job um, after she complained about her husband being this overbearing, scary guy. And then, of course, he shows up in the hotel lobby, confronts her. It's creepy. Uh, Magnum gets kind of uh, shook up when he realizes that uh, Jessica is making progress on the case because he doesn't think much of her. He's beginning to realize she's uh, pretty good at this sort of thing. For an author. 
he's reading one of her books and he tells her, well, I know who I figured I haven't even finished the book, but I figured out that the killer is blank. And she says, no, you're wrong. You idiot. It was somebody else entirely. And who would even say that to her, to her, right? I haven't finished your book, but I know that the murderer is, is so-and-so. He's a bit of a doof. Would, uh, you, would you ever do that? No. I think if you would want to tell the author, I figured out who the murderer is before you said that, wouldn't you like to look at the last page or something to see if you were right? I wouldn't go up to a renowned author and be like, hey, this is how it ends. Just make yourself look like a doofus. Meanwhile, the bodies in the real world are also stacking up because uh, Houston is found dead. Houston being the sketchy businessman who they were looking into. And it turns out that uh, Magnum could be framed for this one, too, because he made bail by the time this guy died. Um, Jessica tells Browning as much that someone's framing Magnum, but he doesn't believe her. And, uh, you know, it Jessica goes back to the hotel to take a bath and is standing around in her robe when Magnum bursts in, a man on the run. <laughs> but first, can we say what is found beside Houston's dead body? Oh, of course. It's Magnum's baseball cap. So, I mean, pretty pretty obvious frame job. But Browning does not like Magnum, so he wants him to be guilty. Now we get, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. We can get back to that hot bath scene. Hot bath scene. So uh, Magnum shows up. And they just have this whole conversation about Magnum saying he has no alibi. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? Why did they do this this way? And then it ends with Magnum saying, oh, you better go check your bath. Because she left it running. And she says, oh, and she runs off to turn it off. Um, Jessica comes across Pamela and the PR guy chatting. Uh, you know, and the PR guy eventually reveals that he had... Uh, a deal with Joan. He was actually the middleman who uh, hooked her up with Arthur Houston, you know, to sell her her husband, her late husband's business to him. So Jessica's put in some pieces together about which of the women might have had a motive to uh, frame Magnum. Um, and basically, uh, later on, um, Jessica finds Amy's room totally ransacked. Amy's uh, husband Victor shows up and threatens him with his crowbar, but don't worry, Higgins is there to do some, some. Uh, he threatens him with some pretty terrifying dialogue. What does he say? He just he just makes a lot of badly written threats. Nothing more scary than a badly written threat. Exactly. And the women are terrified, and that but then Higgins happens to show up behind them. And then we cut to... And also Jessica calls Higgins magnificent, and he's very happy about that. But when Higgins shows up behind them, and he gets into a scuffle with Victor, and actually it's not really Higgins, it's Higgins' stunt double, in a very obvious stunt double. Higgins', Higgins stunt double was magnificent. Higgins is pretty happy with the praise he receives from uh, Miss Fletcher. I... I, I I think Higgins is interested in uh, Miss Fletcher. He likes a sophisticated woman. In fact, we haven't mentioned it, but throughout both episodes, Higgins tries to convince Jessica that the real target of the killer is Higgins himself because he's led such a colorful life. Yeah, he's trying to say that he's just so interesting and fascinating that so many people have a reason to want to put a hit on him. 
And to be fair, you know, that line worked on you. And it was true. You've had plenty of hits on you since we uh, began our relationship. And you love it. I love it. It keeps things interesting. Adds a little bit of spice and spontaneity to things. You I never know what's going to happen. Yeah, maybe the car will blow up. Maybe someone will shoot a bullet through our kitchen window. It's just a... How many times have we had to jump out through sheet glass windows? It's been amazing. <laughs> it's been quite a ride. So then, at the stunning, thrilling conclusion of this crossover event, it turns out that Joan, Miss Jessica Walter herself, posted Magnum's bail. Jessica bribes a maid, gets into her apartment, starts looking through her stuff, because she realizes she must be the person behind all this chaos. And Joan confronts her, explains that this guy with this Hawaiian businessman was a threat to her life and would have sent hitmen out to kill her until, you know, either she died or sold the company to him, which doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense. So then she goes to Hawaii to confront him, but then decides it would just be easier to, to kill him. So she kills his hitman Mayfield and then she kills him. And she steals Magnum's uh, hat to frame him. She wasn't trying to seduce him. She was just trying to uh, string him along and then, you know, get him arrested for murder. So that doesn't make any sense, but okay. And meanwhile, Magnum's crawling along the ledge and is looking out the is out the window and bursts in at the last minute to save Jessica. Um, you know, is 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 trying to get the gun away from uh, Joan, and then the police bust in and and save the day. And that's the end of the main storyline, and the, the, there's a bit of a epilogue scene where uh, Jessica says she really does know the governor. That wasn't uh, a lie. Higgins wants to take Jessica back to the airport, and he wants to reveal to her that he's interested in taking a, a vacation in the New England area, which is where Miss Fletcher happens to live. <whistles> and then Magnum says to uh, Miss Fletcher, let's make a deal. If you don't get a private eye license, I won't buy a typewriter. And she says, deal. And they start to shake their hands and then laugh as we freeze frame. <laughs> what a, what an ending. Well, I know that you weren't as much a fan of the, the latter part of this. That's fair to say. But for me, well, I guess, is there anything else that you wanted to say? I think I've said my piece. For me... Magnum on Ice still thaws my mystery show-loving heart. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore and at Mystery to Me Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.